0: The Bible speaks often of athletic comparisons and stories as encouragements for persevering. There are many verses that can offer Christians motivation and inspiration for living using athletic metaphors. Remember that the way you live can bring glory to God through your life examples. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. Just this past week, my wife Debbie and I were looking at a number of the pictures that we had of our children. It was amazing how many pictures we had of them that showed them playing in some kind of athletic event. Sports is a language that is spoken by people around the world. It was certainly a familiar subject to Roman citizens in the first century. Athletes were the iconic figures of the ancient world, the heroes of young boys, and the craze of the culture. Not much has changed, has it? This is still the case even today. Drawing on this popularity, the New Testament writers chose to convey many important aspects of our Christian life using athletic metaphors. They used sporting events to depict important truths related to our sanctification. Here are some specific aspects they teach us about our pursuit of holiness. First is the idea of strict training. An athlete is required to submit themselves to rigorous training in order to compete at the highest level. He works out strenuously to develop his muscles, to enlarge his lungs and expand his stamina. An out of shape, labby athlete will never gain the victory or the prize. Only those physically fit will win. In like manner, the apostle Paul writes, that believers must do the same. First Timothy chapter number four verse seven states Exercise yourself to godliness. The word exercise comes from the Greek word "gymnasol." Literally it means to exercise naked, and it enters the in English language as the word gymnasium. An ancient gym was a place where athletes stripped down so that nothing would restrict their physical movements in training. Likewise, every Christian must remove all hindrances that will impede our spiritual growth. We must work out diligently in the scriptures. We must discipline ourselves into the study of God's Word. For in that study, we can strengthen our heart for God in our personal and corporate life. Second Timothy chapter number two, verse 15 states, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to study the word of God in order to win God's approval. But not just study the word of God, we have to study it in a particular way. We have to correctly or rightly divide it or to cut it into the correct areas in which it belongs. This is an important concept. An athlete training for certain athletic endeavors will exercise the muscles that they need in order to perform their sport to the best of their ability. As a believer, we need to exercise our mind in order to get the most out of our Bible study so that we can conduct our lives in the most efficient way possible. We are to study as laborers, as workmen, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I'll have more to say about that as this podcast goes on. Second is the idea of steadfast obedience. An athlete must compete according to the rules. No participant can invent their own set of regulations. The rules are already established and are enforced by the umpire or referee. (coughs) And breaking them will result in a penalty or disqualification. In like manner, Every believer must live in obedience to the scriptures. Paul writes in Second Timothy chapter number 2, verse 5, If anyone competes, he is not crowned unless he competes lawfully. Obedience to the commands of the Bible is required for everyone who runs the race of faith. Obedience pleases God and leans into his will. Obedience brings assuredness in our actions. Obedience to the commands of the Bible is required for everyone who runs the race of faith. But it is crucial that we have the obedience to what it is that God wants us to be obedient to. We looked briefly at 2nd Timothy 2:15, I want to talk about this idea of rightly dividing for a second because it becomes very important. 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 verse 5 maybe gives us an example of right division. It says here in 2nd Corinthians chapter number 5 verses 16 and 17 Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh? Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is a classic case of how to rightly divide the word of truth. We see that though we know Christ after the flesh or have known him after the flesh, we do not know him this way anymore. We have recorded for us his earthly ministry in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is Christ after the flesh. Christ after the flesh, he labored under the Mosaic law. He was an Israelite and he was Jewish. This is very important for us to understand. He was under the authority of Moses, Moses was the lawgiver. And the Lord Jesus Christ lived under the Mosaic law. Today, if we try to live our life as Christ lived his, it would condemn us. It would condemn us because we are not under the law, but under grace. We are not Israel. We were not given Israel's laws and rules and regulations. It bothers me to no end to hear individuals state that we need to consider what would Jesus do. That's true. We do need to consider what would Jesus do. But we need to consider what would the resurrected, ascended, seated at the right of the Father, Jesus, do. Not Jesus in his earthly ministry. The Apostle Paul tells us we do not know him that way anymore. We have to understand that it is crucial that the Christian adhere to the commands of the dispensation they are living in. Today, in the dispensation of grace, we are to obey the commands of the Apostle of this present dispensation. today. Our apostle is the Apostle Paul. He states in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 and 2, become imitators of me, according as I also am of Christ. Now I am applauding you that you remember all of mine and are retaining the traditions according as I gave them over to you. Now I want you to pay attention to this phrase become imitators of me. In this present dispensation of the grace of God, we are to imitate the Apostle Paul. But notice what else he says, according as I also am of Christ. In other words, we are to imitate the Apostle Paul the way that the Apostle Paul imitates Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul does not imitate the earthly life of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul was a non-believer during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul became a believer after Jesus had already ascended into heaven's glory, and Jesus himself gave a brand new revelation to him. It is being imitators of this heavenly revelation that we are instructed to do. Now, notice also, he goes on and he says, Now I am applauding you that you remember all of mine and are retaining the traditions according as I. Give them over to you. In other words, when we obey the Ten Commandments, for instance, we do not obey them the way Moses gave them, we obey them the way that Paul gives them. And this is an important point. For instance, Paul nowhere will instruct anyone to keep a Sabbath day. In fact, Keeping a Sabbath day today would be wrong. So, this is why it's important. Obeying the commands of a different dispensation is like playing baseball using the rules of ice hockey. It is sad that most Christians are actively trying to obey commands meant for individuals living in a totally different dispensation how many dear brothers and sisters place themselves into the wrong dispensation by trying to keep any aspect of the Mosaic law. We are not under any of the Mosaic law, as that dispensation is intended for Israel. But we are not Israel. We are the body of Christ. Law is not grace, just as baseball is not ice hockey. Third is the idea of self control. An athlete is required to exercise mastery over his body during his training. If he is to win, it is incumbent on him that he limit his freedoms. It is necessary that he abstained from unwholesome foods for weight control. He needs to monitor his sleep to preserve his strength. Likewise, this same self-control is required in the Christian life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse 25, Now every contender is controlling himself in all things. They indeed then, that they may be obtaining a corruptible wreath, yet we an incorruptible. Controlling himself means self restraint, self government. As believers, we must guard what we allow to enter our minds and hearts. We must refuse to consume the toxic junk food of this world that is poisoned with its secular ideologies indeed we must choose to be trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine this training requires daily nourishment by the words of faith and by good doctrine 1 timothy chapter number 4 verses 6 through 8 state for bodily exercise is profitable to a little, but godliness is profitable to all things, having promise of the present life now and of that coming. I want you to think about this for a second. How many athletes will train by not nourishing their body? by not exhibiting the self-control necessary to put the correct nourishment into it. Self-control is critical. How often does an athlete get up early in the morning to do an exercise routine when the overwhelming majority of us are still sleeping and in bed? They choose to do certain things because they give away their freedoms in order to become the best athlete that they can be. Today, it takes self-control for an individual to choose to study their scriptures rather than watching TV or rather than going out and partying. When we study the word of God, we nourish our body. We nourish it with the words of faith. And if we have rightly divided the word of truth, the scriptures, we have good doctrine. Yes, bodily exercise is profitable to a little or for a little bit, but godliness is profitable for everything. We need to exhibit our lives to godliness. And the only way we can do this is by putting the word of truth deep within our thinking and our thoughts and our heart. To do this requires discipline. It requires self-control. It requires ourselves forcing ourselves to have a routine that we follow so that we can gain the words of faith and good doctrine. Fourth, it involves strenuous effort. An athlete must exert maximum effort. In order to win their event, (laughs) half-hearted efforts will never capture the crown. A lax jogger who merely shuffles their feet will lose the race. The wreath or crown belongs to the one who expends every ounce of energy in their competition. Likewise, Paul says we must toil or labor in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. If we will win the prize, we must toil and labor. We must have strenuous effort. It is hard work to be a world-class athlete, and it is hard work to be a powerful person for God. The word labor or toil is the Greek word kopiao, and it means to toil to the point of exhaustion. In the pursuit of holiness, we must give ourselves until we have nothing left to give. Again, using the athletic metaphor, Paul writes, I press on in Philippians 3.12, employing a Greek word, diako, meaning to move rapidly and decisively after an object. He is pressing on, moving rapidly, moving decisively after an object. Paul states that he was running after the knowledge of Christ. So he is moving rapidly and decisively after the knowledge of Christ. He is moving as fast as his spiritual legs would propel him. The Bible states, "Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us." That comes out of Hebrews 12:1. This race, the Greek word agon or agon was the excruciating long-distance event that involved agony and agonizing. We must be expending ourselves and running the lifelong marathon race set before us. We must endure. We must have that strenuous effort that comes with exercising, and toiling in seeking out that knowledge of Christ. It is strenuous effort. Fifth, there has to be strategic aim. In the ancient world, a boxer entered the ring to fight his opponent. His aim Was to land direct blows that would pummel his foe until he was bloodied and broken. An ancient boxer could not afford to wear himself out by throwing wild punches that never connected. He only has so much strength to expend, so every punch had to be on target. In the same way, the Apostle Paul saw himself like a boxer. He states in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse 26, I do not box as one beating the air. In his spiritual life, he was not shadow boxing and jabbing at thin air. The Apostle clarifies, I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Discipline. The Greek word literally means to bruise, to beat black and blue. The apostle says that he must beat down his formidable foe until he bleeds. And ironically, This opponent is his own sinful flesh. Yes, there is strategic aim. I want to use a football analogy for a second. Isn't it a strategic aim of a football team to come up with a game plan for their opponent? They have their plans in their playbook. They practice all week so that when they get into the game against their opponent, they are well prepared for whatever the opponent throws at them. If the opponent does one thing, they have a response for it. And if the opponent does something else, they have a response for that. The same is true in our Christian lives. The world is going to throw all kinds of ungodly things at you. But if you have exercised yourself, if you have had steadfast obedience, if you have exhibited self-control, if you have that strenuous effort and you have strategic aim, you have the faith and good Bible doctrine stored up within you. You have the Word of God breathing and living within you. Yes, it must be rightly divided so that you use what is appropriate for what is going on. But that information, if you have done your work, is already present with you. It becomes a part of you. You now have strategic aim on how to use the word of God in the most effective way possible. You have built up an edifice within your soul of the faith and sound doctrine. Lastly, there must be singular focus. Every athlete has to remain riveted on the goal. They must maintain an intense concentration on the prize. It is this myopic focus that propels a world-class athlete forward with bursts of renewed energy. Looking elsewhere at other runners, for instance, in a stadium will slow down the world-class athlete and it will lead to his defeat. In like manner, Christians must be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, according to Hebrews 12.2. Our singular focus needs to remain on Christ, who generates the strength that we need to run with endurance. Keeping our gaze on Jesus Christ produces the stamina required to win the imperishable crown. As he ran his race in life, Paul wrote that he was forgetting what lies behind in Philippians 3.13. He could not win the crown if he was looking back over his shoulder at his past failures or victories. If he was looking at his failures, He would be riveted in the past, always trying to figure out how he could undo what he can't undo. We call that guilt. How many Christians today live with extreme guilt, always focusing it on their failures and what went wrong, rather than looking forward and looking ahead at our lord and savior jesus christ but the same is true of constantly looking back at your previous victories when we have accomplished something great if we constantly keep going back and looking at it we too are frozen in place we're frozen at one brief moment where From our perception, glory was obtained, but it's misplaced glory, it's self-glory, and anything for self can never attain to anything. If you're constantly looking at what you have accomplished, you will never be busy to accomplish something new. You will be riveted in the past locked in place, unable to move forward. If you are to run, that you may obtain the prize, you must compete like a fully committed athlete in the Christian life. Sanctified sweat is required, but it will be worth it to receive the imperishable wreath or crown from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Good day, and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.